I ask that you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And today I want to speak to you on sowing and the law of abundance. Sowing and the law of abundance. There's a very simple principle here, verse 6. This I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It is one of those benchmark passages that expresses so many concepts of the Christian life into one. This one is an old concept, but let's express it. What I gave, I kept, and what I kept, I gave. What I gave, I kept, and what I kept, I gave. It's very simple. You determine how much you're going to get by what you give. Now, I'm not just talking about money. In fact, that may be even the least of the things we give. I'm talking every bit as much about mercy, about slack, about grace, about caring, about ministry, about serving. What I gave, I kept. What I kept, I gave. It's very simple. If you try to hang on to someone or something, you will probably lose them. If you give them up or give it up, you will, and you do it in the name of and for the glory of God, you keep it. It becomes an investment. And not only that, it comes back to you in abundance. You will always receive back more than you give, whether it's time or ministry, or grace, or love, or service. So this passage lays down a principle which goes to the very heart of the Christian life. Wednesday night, we were at children's camp. We stayed for skit night. We stayed for the service, and Steve was the camp pastor, and we stayed for skit night. Now, children's camp skits, they're a hoot. It's not exactly a Broadway production, it's just something shy of Shakespeare, but what it lacks in depth and creativity, it makes up for in gusto and enjoyment. And what is always funny about children's camp skits is that they laugh at their own skits more than anybody else does. And they laugh before the skit is over. They laugh while it's going on. And so they did the old magnification trick. And I'd seen this about 900 times, but it was good again. Two girls held a sheet for their cabin, and they throw in a little pillow, and then out somebody is supposed to throw a great big pillow, and it got caught in the sheet and took it all down and showed all the girls laying there with their things to throw, the magnification machine. And they put in a, a little rock, and out came this big rock and all this. And finally, they throw in this little baby, and then out jumps one of the girls with, uh, you know, looking like the baby, but much larger than the doll. And uh, everybody laughs. But what is funny is that the girls get so tickled before it's all over. When I, when I watched the magnification machine, it struck a chord in me, however. You know, there is that is not just fantasy. There is something very real about the process of magnification. 
and multiplication in the economy of God. What I give, I keep. And what I keep, I will ultimately give. What I give, God takes and multiplies. We believe that God magnifies everything he touches. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's one man. And God arrests his attention on the road to Damascus. And out of that one man's call come thousands and millions of Gentile Christians because God said, Paul, I want you to reach the Gentiles. And we see it over and over again in Scripture. The prophet of the Old Testament tells the widow to take her pots and place them out in the open and get all the pots she can. And when every pot had been filled, the flow of oil for the poor woman stopped. God multiplies what he touches and he magnifies what he touches. I can preach one sermon, and if it magnifies God and glorifies Him, many people are touched. And then they go tell many others who go tell many others, and God is magnified. Now, Paul introduces this whole subject by saying, I really don't need to write to you in verse, verse 1. He said, I know you, are, you Corinthians are eager to help. And I've been boasting to our brothers over in Macedonia, verse 2, for over a year that your zeal stirred up their missionary zeal. And God multiplied. The Corinthians wanted to give a gift to the poor Christians back in Jerusalem. And they intended to. And Paul told their story so that the Macedonians wanted to give also. And then he goes on to say, I know you were ready to send the offering, but... Uh, uh, just in case you don't have it all together in verse 5, uh, I, I'm going to send some folks to check on you and make sure you give the offering that you promised. So Paul says, now, I want to remind you, Corinthians, as we come for your special missionary gift, your offering, of the principle, he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now today, I don't want to emphasize sowing, and I don't want to emphasize reaping. I do want to emphasize abundance, plenty, plenteousness, plentifulness, or what we would call abundance. What is the source of abundance in the Christian life? I like the ring of that. Do you? I just like the sound of abundance. There's something about abundance. I like to say it, abundance. Say it for me. Abundance. Come on, say it again. Abundance. It just sounds kind of rich and full, doesn't it? And uh, that's abundance. Now, what is the source of abundance? And Paul says there are three things that relate to the uh, origin of, uh, of abundance. First, he says in verse 6, abundance is determined by our sowing. He emphasizes here the freedom of the sower to choose what he's going to sow and how much he's going to sow. You see, we don't, in this church, we don't require giving except from the deacons. A deacon must be a tither to the local church, and a staff member must be a tither to the local church. Beyond that, it is up to the individual believer as God leads you. Abundance is determined by our sowing. Now, there are three challenges to every sower, three challenges to the farmer, three challenges to the Christian, three challenges to the choir member who invests 
three hours a week in rehearsal and preparation in order to participate in worship. The first is the challenge of security. The farmer has to let go of the seed and put it in the ground. That's a challenge of security because he could keep it to make sure he has enough bread and use the seed for bread, or he could put it in the ground and raise more seed so that he will have more. So there's the challenge of security. Do I trust God by casting out what I have? Not just speaking of money. I'm speaking of your time. I'm speaking of your concern for others. I'm speaking of your love. I'm speaking of your mercy. How much mercy did you sow this week? How much love did you sow this week? How much goodness did you sow this week? Secondly, there is the challenge of selfishness. Do I cast it out so that others can be blessed? Or do I keep it for myself? I love to give. I get a big kick out of watching people be blessed by what I give. I just enjoy giving. And the other day, I was offering to buy somebody's lunch, and somebody else said, don't act like a big shot and buy his lunch. Now, now they were challenging my motive for buying somebody's lunch, right? And, and, and my motive is I just like to do things for somebody if I can because it's an encouragement. I pray that it will be an encouragement. So often when we sow, it's not only a challenge of security. Can I give up what I have, believing God will return it to me and more? But it's a challenge of selfishness. Can I let go of something in order to bless somebody else's life with what God has given to me? But there's a third challenge to the sower. And that's the challenge of sincerity. What is my motive? There is a sense in which Paul almost says, I'm not sure a Baptist preacher would go that far, but Paul almost says, if you can't give it in the right spirit, don't give it. I would probably say, Paul, I, I mostly agree with you, but sometimes I feel like it's better to go ahead and give it. Even if it's not in a good spirit, you won't get as much reward for it, but somebody will be blessed even if it's given in the wrong spirit. So there are three challenges. One is that of security, faith. The other is that of selfishness. And the other is that of sincerity. The second thing Paul says about abundance is that abundance is deliberated in the heart. Look at verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes. You must each make up your own mind as to how much you will give or sow or how much you will let other people into your life. Abundance is deliberated in the heart. Now, this principle emphasizes the freedom of the sower to plan. People say, I'm not going to plan my giving. Folks tell me that all the time. I'm not going to plan my ministry. I'll just do whatever God sends to my hand. No, wait a minute now. Paul says it is not wrong to deliberate about the matter. We ought to pray carefully about how we invest our time. We ought to pray carefully about how we invest our energy. And we ought to pray carefully about how we invest our funds to which God has made us manager. Abundance is deliberated in the heart. The third thing that Paul says here is that abundance is decided willingly and cheerfully. You decide whether you're going to have plenty or whether you're going to have little. It is up to you. You say, well, I just thought that was up to God. And some people he made wealthy and some he didn't. And some people he prospered their ministry and some people he didn't. Well, God does choose people with special gifts. 
for a special time. But for the majority of the body of Christ, we determine what shall be the motive of our giving. And so now he emphasizes the freedom of the sower to determine his motive. You're in charge of your motive. If your motives ever get out of your charge, I'd like to know who's in charge of your motives. You decide why you give what you do. You decide why you teach. You decide why you're a soul winner. You're the one who decides why you're a group leader. You're the one who decides why you minister. That's up to me. It's my decision to determine the motive. If I'm responsible for my motive, then my motive is going to be judged by God and it's going to be judged. He's going to judge my motives. Therefore, I'm responsible for why I do whatever I do. I can't say that Cindy just sings to show off. In fact, knowing Cindy, I would say that she doesn't. How many in the choir would agree? How many would disagree? You're safe, Cindy. <laughs> I would say I can't know her motive. She determines that motive. When she steps up there to take that microphone and sing, when Carolyn steps up there to take that microphone to sing, each person determines what the motive shall be. And, and, and she'll utter a prayer, God be glorified through this song. Now the sower determines the motive. And God says, I love, a, I love a cheerful giver, not one who gives grudgingly or out, boy, I gotta do it, but I don't want to. And God loves the cheerful or hilarious or happy giver. Giving to abundance is always a joy when it's done in the right spirit. In fact, I'm not sure you can give your way to abundance until it is in the right spirit. But when you give, think of the response in your heart. Not only do you bless somebody else, but think what the blessing is, what the joy is. Because what you give, you keep. And what you keep, you will ultimately give. It will be taken from you. You just try to hang on to it. You grasp that. And I promise you, it will be taken from you. It's very similar to the, to the uh, point that Jesus makes when he says, whoever loses his life shall save it. And whoever saves his life shall lose it. Same principle. You determine what you reap, whether it's abundant or whether it's little by what you sow, by what you give, of your money, of your time, of your energy, of your love, of your concern. Now there's a second question that the passage demands of us. How does abundance come about? How does it come about? And there are three things Paul uses to describe the process of abundance. First he says in verse 8, that abundance is demonstrated by God's return of generosity. Look at verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Now, it's a very simple principle again. This is the principle of if you honor God, God will honor you. If you glorify God, God will honor you. Abundance is demonstrated by God's return of generosity. When I am generous with my time, my energy, my love, then God returns generosity to me. Do you know how to open the hand of the Lord? Do you know how to open the windows of heaven? You start by giving. You start by overcoming security questions and selfish questions and sincerity questions and giving. You open God's hand. 
See, this doesn't say God will make everything abound to every Christian. It says God is able. And the implication is that the key to his ability is my faith and my stepping out. When I step out by faith, then God responds. But God doesn't just automatically shower it on everybody. Why? Because God wants our faith. Without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. So God is able to make everything abound towards you. If you're not living in abundance, it may be because you are not proportionately meeting God's condition. So we unlock God's hand. We open God's windows of heaven because God is able to make all grace, not just money. He's able to make all grace, dying grace, living grace, comfort grace, all graces, caring, all of that. God makes all of that abound. He is able to. When we meet the conditions, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. If you honor God, God will honor you. Now, the second thing he says about the process of abundance is found again in verse 8, the second half. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things have an abundance for every good work. Now, abundance is defined by sufficiency for self and plenty for others. So first, we want to say abundance is demonstrated by God's return of generosity. And secondly, abundance is defined by sufficiency for self and plenty for others. What is abundance? Well, for you, abundance might be having a new car. For me, when I was a boy, I was having a car that would start. If it started, that was abundance. I mean, I was rich. There was a time when having five gallons of gas in the tank was abundance for me. Now, what Paul describes is this. He says the Christian has an abundance when he has everything he needs, all sufficiency, and he has some left over to enable him to do whatever God has called him to do. He has some for every good work. That's the measure of abundance. It's not being able to buy the city of Winston-Salem. It's having your needs met and enough left over with which God can use you to bless others, whether it's your love or your time or your money. Sufficiency plus some to give is abundance. Now, under that definition, tell me, how many of you are living in abundance today? Come on, acknowledge it. You're living in abundance. I'm living in abundance. Now, if you're not living in abundance, reduce what you need so your sufficiency will leave a little bit left for you to give to others. Amen? That's a way to live in abundance. You can live in abundance. I was reading the other day that Daniel Boone, on September 26, 1820, died. Do you know why he died? Daniel Boone died because he ate a half bushel of sweet potatoes. He couldn't get satisfied. He didn't have enough. Now, one sweet potato fills me up. Does it fill you up? I mean, that's all I can eat. And sometimes I can't even all of that. I love to bake that sweet potato, slice it in half, then put brown sugar and just a little butter, and then you take your fork and you mash it all up and stir it up. And that is as good as anything you'll eat in the finest restaurant anywhere. Amen? How many of you like sweet potatoes like that? You do? Good. How many don't care for sweet potatoes? Good, you bring them to me and I'll take care of them. 
William Jennings Bryan, after the Scopes trial, sat down and ate one whole chicken, five helpings of mashed potatoes. They couldn't count all the vegetables. And then he ate a gallon of ice cream and a half of an apple pie. And three hours later, he died. That's true. True story. See, the problem is some of us just can't get enough. Sufficiency is based upon something other than God's view of sufficiency. And so we think we don't have enough to give to God. We don't have the time to give to choir. We don't have time to give to teach Sunday school. We don't have time to be a group leader. We can't give anymore because we're using it all up for ourselves. But abundance is defined by sufficiency for self and plenty for others. The third thing Paul says here is this, that abundance is derived from the faithfulness of God. Abundance is derived from the faithfulness of God. Now look at this. He's already said in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound. Look in verse 9, a quote from Psalms, and God has dispersed abroad. He has given you your social security check. He's given you your retirement check. He's given you your job. He's given you an inheritance. He has dispersed abroad. He gives to us time, money, the capacity to love, to be kind, to build friendships, maintain relationships. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. So that from generation to generation, a testimony for righteousness is established only when Christians have reduced their needs to sufficiency so that they've got something to give to the poor in the name and on behalf of God. Now, follow that carefully. This is extremely important. I don't have anything extra to give. Really? Reduce your sufficiency. Why? It's a very basic principle. The reason God disperses anything is not because we deserve it, not because we're so handsome, not because we're so good, not because we're morally deserving. He disperses to us so that we can take care of our needs and then have something to give over to somebody else. That's very clear in Scripture. He has dispersed abroad and he has given to the poor. Well, how does he give to the poor? Through you, through me. That's why Jesus says, inasmuch as you have done it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. Or that's why what Paul says in Galatians 2, when he's recounting how the Jerusalem church, you know, when Paul presented himself for membership to the, to the Jerusalem church, they turned him down. They were scared to death of him. And Peter stood up for him, and James stood up for him, and John stood up for him, and they said, okay, you can go preach to the Gentiles, but do you remember what they made him promise? Don't forget to give to the poor. Do you know why America is the most philanthropic nation on the face of the earth? Because of our Judaistic heritage. Philanthropy comes from the, the, uh, the, the historical uh, practice of the Jewish people. And so when we give to the poor, we're giving out of what God has given us. God is giving to the poor. And when we don't give to the poor, we don't maintain or establish a testimony of righteousness to that generation because we're not giving to the poor because we're using it all up for ourselves. That's the principle. Abundance is derived from the faithfulness of God who gives to us so that we can give to others in the name of God. Now look at this. 
God is an infinite source. Would you agree with that? He doesn't run out. But we're an infinite receptacle. I mean, I can't even hold all of God's blessings sometimes. I get so happy I can't handle all of God's blessings. Now, if God is an infinite source and we're a finite receptacle, then there should be no problem with his pouring enough into our receptacle to meet our needs so that there's come some overlapping so that we can give to the poor. And that's the principle. God wants to give. Could I have more than sufficiency? And the answer from God is yes. And the purpose is so that you can give of yourself and your means to others. Abundance is derived from the faithfulness of God. Grace, which is God's nature, glides right over to his, from his disposition to a manifestation and it becomes the actual gift that is given so that God has no idle disposition. His grace ultimately responds when he gives to us and we give to others. His grace responds in action to the poor. Whether you're giving to a church or to an individual, when we give, it is from God, it is to God, and it is for the glory of God. And what we give, we keep. And what we keep, we will ultimately give. There is a third section to this passage, and it is, what is the end result of abundance? What is the end result of abundance? I want to live in abundance. That doesn't mean I'm hooked on a health, wealth, and prosperity message. I want to live in abundance. By God's definition, I want enough to meet my needs, and I want just a little so that I can give to whomever. And if all of us gave, imagine of our time, money, energy, and love, what would happen in this community. What is the end result of abundance? Well, Paul says three things here. The first is in verse 10. Abundance develops the other graces. Learning how to give so that you're participating in abundance will teach you the other graces of God. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality. Or God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and bread to eat. And in the same way, he will give opportunities to do good. And he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You will be so enriched so that you can give even more generously. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will break out in thanksgiving to God. Now, there is a whole area of grace in our lives which represents anything we don't deserve. I have a wife I don't deserve. Amen? And I have a, I have a church I don't deserve. Amen? I have a, a car I don't deserve. I have opportunities I don't deserve. I have friends I don't deserve. I have gifts I don't deserve. I have uh, opportunities to use those gifts I don't deserve. All of that is of grace. Now, some of you have the gift of helps, and some of you have the gift of serving, and some of you have the gift of mercy, and some of you have the gift of giving.
whatever grace you have, it is enriched when you learn the secret of abundance is sufficiency and some to give away so that you can learn how to give. Because giving promotes giving, whether it's ministry or money. You say, well, how does that happen? Well, take a sponge. I have a sponge in my hand. Is there anybody here who cannot see my hand? Is there anybody here who cannot see my sponge? Who cannot see the sponge? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, there's the sponge. Uh, help her see the sponge. Now, here's a red bucket of water. Can everybody see my red bucket of water? Now, when that sponge is in that sphere of water, it is completely soaked. You know that you can take a full sponge full of water and you can dip it in a thousand buckets and it won't take on any more water? And it won't take on any more water until what happens to it? It has to give before it can receive anything else. And on that principle, Paul is saying, when we give in this grace of giving, whether it's time or money or energy or, or mercy or service or chicken pie or whatever. When we give, we empty the receptacle so that God's stream and God's fountain of plenty, infinite it is, can fill our little tiny receptacle again. And you don't have any more to give until you've given away all that you have so that you just become God's sponge, God's channel through which he keeps pouring his grace. And when you learn to give, you learn that you only develop your gift by giving it away. If you keep it and hold it, you lose it. Remember, what I kept, I gave. But what I gave, I kept. So whether it's loving or serving or helping, whether it's friendliness, you know, I see people say, I don't have any friends. This church is a cold church to me. Well, wait a minute. The Bible says he that hath friends must first what? Make himself friendly. And when I give away myself and friendship and interest, then it comes back to me and friends. People care for me when I care for them. I can create three friendships and, and reap five friendships. And it's this very simple law of life that many people have never learned. What we give, we keep, and what we keep, we'll ultimately lose or give. So there it is. Abundance develops the other graces. The second thing Paul says here in this section, what is the end result of abundance, is that abundance declares thanksgiving to God. Now look at how important this is to Paul in verse 11. Your gift, he said, will cause thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Imagine a Sunday school teacher loves her class. She ministers to that class. She spends six hours studying that lesson. She gets that lesson ready. She ministers to 23 people. And when her birthday comes, they send her 23 birthday cards. And when she's sick, they gather around her to meet her need. And that is a great blessing, but that's not the full blessing. The blessing really comes when those 23 people through that week are praising God for that teacher, thanking God for that teacher, giving glory to God for that teacher. 
Because the ultimate task of the Christian is to see that God gets glory from his lives. And so when we give, we create thanksgiving and abundant thanksgiving, if you please, to the Heavenly Father for all that we've done in ways we cannot know. What is uh, enormously satisfying to me at this stage of my ministry is to go to places where pastors will say to me, Pastor uh, Mark, you cannot believe what influence you had in my life 23 years ago or 22 years ago. When you spoke to me and I heard you preach or you challenged me, I, I was at a church Thursday night preaching a man was called out of a revival, out of a church where I held a revival. He went to a little church just out of North Wilkesboro that was averaging 50 people. And when I was there Thursday night, they had 400 people in that building in a brand new sanctuary. And he's been there five years. And he said to me, you have no idea the influence you had on my life. You have no idea what, what God did through you in getting me into the ministry. Now, that is one of the greatest. He couldn't have done more for me if he'd give me a million dollars. Did you know that? And think, there are 400 people in that church this Sunday morning thanking God for their pastor, and I had just a little tiny part in that man being a pastor. And that's what makes life worth living. Don't you understand? It happens when we give away what God has given to us, whether it's time or energy. Sometimes people say to me, why do you preach? Why do you do this? Why, why? Because I, it's my nature to give. I think it's God's nature to give. I think we're most like God when we give. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The third thing that is the end result is uh, found in verses 12, 13, and 14. Abundance delivers you into God's cycle. Abundance delivers you into God's cycle. Well, how does that happen? <laughs> well, look at verse 12. The administra administration of this service supplies the needs of the saints, but when it's practiced beyond, remember the, the meaning of abundance, the definition is sufficient for my needs and then some left over to give. And when I give, it abounds through many thanksgivings to God because the people who receive what I give, give thanks to God. So then it becomes a testimony or an evidence of the good news in my life that I'm really a believer. And people will go on expressing glory to God because I have generously shared with them. And they will then pray for me. By, verse 14, by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. So what happens? God gives to me. I meet my needs. Have a little left over. I give. People give thanks to God. They bless the name of the Lord and they pray for me. As they pray for me, God gives me some more. He, the infinite source fills my finite receptacle and he gives me enough over so that I can give to somebody else. And then that causes thanksgivings to God. And then that causes prayer for me. And when they pray for me, God gives me more. And that lets me get more than I need. And I give out of what I have above my sufficiency. And that makes them give thanks to God. And that makes them pray for me. And when they pray for me, God gives me more. And on and on and on and on it goes. And that's the cycle of abundance. And that is God's plan for every Christian. In money, in talent, in service, in energy, in time, in love, in ministry, in caring, in sharing. That is the cycle of abundance. And it's constantly going on in God's economy. And we get in on it, but only when we learn to give out of our over and above sufficiency.
There's almost nothing God wouldn't trust you with if he could trust you with it. And what we give, we keep because it lays up treasures in heaven. And what we keep, we lose. What we give, we keep. And what we keep, we lose. <laughs> I, I like to read the Percy Ross column every now and then. Do you like to read that? Percy Ross, the millionaire who gives away money. I mean, people write in and say, I've got a sick child and I need an air conditioner and he'll send them 350 bucks. And I've often thought that's interesting. I'd love to be a Christian Percy Ross, wouldn't you? I just have, if any of you ever make 10 million and you, want, you don't know what to do with it, let me know and I'll be, I'll, I'll even name myself Percy Courts and I'll do an article and I'll give it away for you just like that. But he, there are times when he says no. And what's interesting are the times when he says no. But there are many times when he says yes. You know, that's what the church ought to be. What would it be like to have a church full of Percy Rosses who are never too busy when a brother in Christ is in need? Who are never too preoccupied when somebody needs a little time and attention? Who have never mixed out their credit cards and are on such heavy payments that they haven't got five extra bucks to give to somebody who's in real need? Wouldn't it be neat to pastor a church full of born-again Percy Rosses? I think it would. And you know, the ultimate expression of this principle, what we give, we keep, and what we keep, we give, is the cross. Did you know that? Because it was there at the cross that Christ gave his life, the ultimate sacrifice, and, and that act of giving it all produced a tremendous... I mean, the world, the whole world was... Tra culture was transformed. Everything was transformed because Christ gave. What he gave, he kept. If he had kept it back, he wouldn't have given anything. He would have lost it. Same thing is true of us. You know, of all the motives for Christian service or even Christian giving, which is not the central point of this talk. But of all the motives of Christian giving, the best I know of is to give glory to God. I don't just give because I have to, grudgingly. I just don't give out of necessity. I don't just give because it makes me feel good. And I don't just give because I think it's a good example. It's when I give because I'm part of God's economy. I'm participating in that principle in Psalm. He disperses abroad, and then through those to whom he gives things, he gives to the poor so that his righteousness remains forever. I stand in that strong biblical tradition that righteousness is represented from every generation to every generation because I'm doing what God wants me to do, participating in God's cycle, seeing that God's blessings from heaven are being dispersed to those who need them, whether they're lost, hurting, pained, or poor. Amen? And Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. And he gave so that he might keep us in fellowship with the Father. We might be forgiven and have eternity with him. Let's stand in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, challenge us today 
to go beyond our security, to go beyond our selfishness, and to go indeed beyond our just surface sincerity. And give our hearts and give our time and give our energy and give our talents and give our ministry and give our love and our concerns to others for the glory of your name. And if there are those who are lost today in this congregation, and surely there must be, draw them to yourself as they see how much you gave for them when you gave your son. In Jesus' name, amen.